0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I want you to know there's a very real spiritual realm. Uh, and it's weird for us at times because, as I talked about last week, some of you in this room, you believe in the idea of angels and demons. You read the scriptures. You see that they're in there. You believe that those things exist, but you just, I just don't ever see them. I don't, uh, you know. And, and if something weird like that happens, you... You are a realist, you look at the evidence and you're pretty steady and I wanna just affirm that. If that's just the way God has created you in your nature, then that's a great thing. On the other hand, there are others of us in this room that you see a demon around every uh, experience in life, around every doorpost, around every tree. You you see this as spiritual one. You walk into a store and you're like, this store feels oppressive. There's this, you, you, and I want to just say you're spiritually sensitive. And that's a very good thing because that's just how God has wired you, that you're just spiritually sensitive. You understand the need uh, for the power of the name of Jesus. And what I want to do today is, whether you're on either one of those two extremes, these are not problems to solve, right? They're tensions to manage, right? That's the whole point, is that they are actual tensions to manage. And what I want to do is I'm going to ask your permission to give grace to the other side. Whichever way God's created you, you're going to extend grace during this series to the other side. If you agree with that, please say amen. amen. All right, all right. You know, it's interesting, um, when we look at the spiritual realm and battles between forces of good and evil, if you ever come face to face with real evil, if you ever come face to face uh, with just the power and the nature of God, sometimes you don't know what to think about it all. And I think sometimes that's the point, that we never feel really comfortable with it. Why? Because sometimes it's just way outside our realm. It's, it's not in the area of things that we ourselves think is controllable. It's, it's outside that. It, we have limitations, but there are battles that go on in the heavenlies that are beyond our limitations. However, those things are very real. A number of years ago, I was at a church in Southern California. and We had a multi-site and I did a bunch of things at the main campus for a very, very large church. And then on the weekend, I would go from the main campus, two services there, down to our multi-site campus in uh, West LA. And I would go down there and I would uh, be the campus pastor. I'd do all the announcements and kind of intro stuff for my pastor at the time, Pastor Dudley Rutherford, who's been here. And uh, one day I'm there, we're finishing up the worship just like we've just done here. We've kind of given the opener. Dudley's going to come out on stage. I go out the side door because that's the only way to get to the back uh, of the church. And that's kind of my, my uh, habit was to go around there and then sit until I had to come back up and have other responsibilities. But as I go out the side door, I see a group of our ushers uh, and one of our other pastors on staff sitting down on a lawn Uh, There in West Hollywood, just outside the building, uh, with a a woman, and I could tell something was up. So I go down there right away, check in, well, what's going on? Well, it's a little teeny Filipino woman. She's like this tall, and she's sitting down in a lawn chair, and they pulled some lawn chairs out, and we've got like a circle and and uh, behind the woman is a large chiropractor who attends our church, and and he was standing there with his hands on her shoulder. I'm going, "This this is just a little odd, right? So I began to say, what's going on? I go down there, and what has happened is this woman's demonized, and during the worship, the singing at church, she starts manifesting, So she starts getting all wigged out, really uncomfortable, starts vocalizing. The friend who brought her that day is like, I have no idea what's going on. So the ushers like take her out and they sit her down on the lawn. We go down there and this pastor uh, on our staff has started working with her and I sit right next to him. And it's very apparent real quick that this woman is actually demonized. She's a little Filipino lady, but she is speaking in languages that I either have heard or never heard before. She's got voices that are not little Filipino lady voices. And she is vocalizing and this kind of thing, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And let me just say, in all my years of ministry, that there've only been three or four experiences in a situation like this. So you're talking one every years, you know, years go by between experience. But this was that day, it wasn't expected, and this is what's happening with this woman. And and so I sit down in the chair and we begin to confront that demon in the name of Jesus, and say, by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, we command you to come out of that woman. And he looks right at me, and he goes, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. I say, no, he's not. James 2.19 says, that even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. This woman wants to be free, and he looks right at me, and goes, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine. Okay, now that's scary right there, right? I mean, all of a sudden, some like, goosebumps. By the way, if your kids read that goosebump stuff, throw that junk out, right? So, Get rid of that stuff. That's not cool. That's a, just kind of an entry gate. But what, what I'm saying is, in this situation with this woman, she's there and she's, she's manifesting this. It's now we're talking to a spirit. We're not talking to, to her. And, and I begin to get this picture as we begin a battle because it's a battle of authority. The woman wants to be free, but this enemy is, is having claim on the life of this person, but she wants to be free. And so we began engaging in battle. And I began to get this picture in my mind that here's this big chiropractor and he's standing behind holding the Filipino lady in her chair so she doesn't hurt herself or anybody else. And then there are people sitting on either side and they've got like her arms pinned and, and even one of them's holding like her legs so you she can't you can kind of go anywhere. And um, and I got began to get this picture. That as we're engaging with battle in these spiritual forces, that it's not me, it's not technique, it's not anything special about me. It is all about Jesus. And just like there was a chiropractor standing behind her with his hands on her shoulders, I begin to picture that Jesus is standing behind me with his hands on my shoulders. And I'm just engaging with this because it makes me very uncomfortable. But as I'm engaging, I'm just saying, you know, it's not me. I'm not taking it personal. It's not me. I'm representing for the man. Amen. It's not my authority. It is Jesus Christ. It's his authority engaging with this spirit. And she tried to fight, you know, back and forth, time and again, but could not stand. You watch that spirit have to obey the powerful name of Jesus. And it came out of her with a shriek and a scream, and she was free. Will you give it up to the name of Jesus for that? And now she's in her right mind. She's talking just like a normal little Filipino lady, and we had two pastors who were on furlough from the Philippines, so we connected them with her, and they went to her apartment, and even that day, uh, she had kind of thrashed around a little bit until like a bracelet had broken off, and she's like, oh, can I get my charm bracelet back? We're like, no, no, we're going to take care of that. We're going to destroy that thing. You're not going to need that anymore, but she had all sorts of spiritualized stuff that were kind of just expressions and entryway to the enemy working her life. These little Filipino uh, pastor and his wife went with her to her house to help like, clean out her house and just pray through it. Well, they get there and she's got journals everywhere. Tons of journals. And they said, what are these? And she said, well, the demon would bang my arm on the table unless I would write. And they looked and they were just full of gibberish. For nine years, this woman had been oppressed, possessed by a demon. She also, by the way, was a nanny I just want to say, if you got a nanny, check your references, (laughs) right? But she just gave her life to Christ. And I remember that day that she got baptized at church. Here she went from being under the power, the authority of this spirit that would control her. And she wanted freedom, but it was so powerful. She didn't believe it could exist, that there could be freedom because that was so real to her and yet she submitted herself to the name, the power, the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was baptized, she believed in Jesus, she was baptized, and she's been free ever since. And we don't hear a lot of stuff like that, and I don't tell a lot of stuff like that, because even if it's happened in our church, I don't tell a lot of stuff like that, right? Because people get weird about it, they freak out a little bit, but the truth is there's power in the name of Jesus, and and I gotta tell you, some of you in this room, you're like, yeah, I, I believe the Bible, but if you saw something like that, you might be like, I, I don't know, I'm out of here, it's in my church anymore. What? Well, and it would really test, do you believe what you believe or don't you? Are these things real or are they not? Does that scare you? It does me. It scares me a little bit. But what makes me confident is Jesus. That's what makes me confident. It's who Jesus is. Fear is not abnormal. It's part of the human nature, right? It's part of our condition. In fact, the disciples in Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking, by the way, at Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 5. But in Mark chapter 4, to set this up, Mark is the action gospel. He's telling, like, just step by step, this is the ministry of the life of Jesus. He doesn't have a lot of time for intricate details. He just wants to give you, like, the action movie of the life of Jesus. That's the book of Mark. If you like action movies, read Mark. If you want details, read Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's very concise about details. But in this account what we find is that the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. A storm blows up, much like this one that's raining down on us here today. And a storm blows up and the wind and the waves are just incredible. In fact, some of the guys on the boat are professional fishermen. They've grown up their whole life on this lake. They know how it works. They know what storms look like. But this is unlike any storm they've experienced. Here's what happens. The geography of Israel is much like California. You got coast, you got coastal mountains, then you got a central valley in Israel, just like we do here. Then you go up and you got mountains, and up in that mountainous hilly region uh, is the Sea of Galilee. Then it drops way off down below sea level, goes out into the desert area of Jordan. And, And that's how the geography works. It's almost like going from here to, you know, out to Utah or Nevada or other places, right? So you begin to, uh, these storms come in off of the Mediterranean and they gain power as they go across that central valley. They go up into the hills and then all that wind, all that pressure, that low pressure compresses down through the valleys and the Sea of Galilee is surrounded like this room with almost like valleys with cracks in it. So the wind pushes down, it hits that water so fast and in no time you can have waves that are 10, 12 more feet high on a lake. It's crazy. I mean, it's just that's the geography of the land. Well, this storm blows up, and these guys are freaked out. So they wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus gets up and challenges the guy's faith, and then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and everything calms down and clears up. Okay, what would you think if right now somebody in church just rebuked the wind and the waves and, every, and it got blue sky outside? I'd be a little freaked out, wouldn't you, Right. So here's what happens. The disciples were afraid of the storm. But then what happens is this. In Mark 4:41, it says this. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they went from being afraid, but now they use the word phobos from where we get, like, the word phobia. Like, it literally, they were like, we were afraid of the what. We were afraid of the, the waves, the wind. We could tell you what was going on. They woke Jesus up. Hey, we've got to let you know what's going on because we're going to die. They, they were all good with the what, but now they're terrified of the who. They're terrified. It's this word phobia. They they get afraid. They're in the boat. Why? Because they've come face to face with the knowledge that they're in the presence of deity. Oh, their fear changed from the storm to who the name of Jesus is, who Jesus is. Not what just happened or what went on, but who did it. And they were terrified. They realized that Jesus is God. So their adrenaline's going up, their hearts are pounding, right? They get to the other side of the lake and their day of uh, excitement isn't over yet. So they pull the boat up to the dock. You know, you think that the is going to jump out, kiss the ground, <laughs> we're on dry land, you know, or whatever. But right then, a naked, angry man, a demonized man comes to uh, begin to confront them, runs right up to them, okay? Let me just say, for those of you in the room, is there anything scarier than an angry, naked man? No, right? I mean, if you saw an angry, naked man, one, you're going crazy, two, you're going drug trip, you know, whatever, right? But you see that, you instantly think, I'm out of here. Like, if you're at the mall, and an angry, naked person shows, you're like, I'm leaving, you just grab your bags, you're out the door, Uh, you know, you call 911 is what happens, you're thinking, like, somebody else has got to deal with this, this is not my problem, I'm gone. You might film it, you might put it up on YouTube, but then you're out of there, right? You're like, we're not wrestling, Somebody else is going to tackle the streaker, just the way it is. Somebody else's job, not mine. And that's what happens. And, and what happens when you and I see somebody who's just out of their mind? They're, this, in this case, naked, crazy, right? And, and we live in a culture that thinks craziness is just craziness. And we, we start going through our reasoning. We say, well, it's probably their medications. Or maybe it's a disease. And let me tell you, sometimes it is their medication. Or it's drugs, right? Sometimes it is a disease, but sometimes it's not. Do you understand? Sometimes it's not. I want you to catch this idea. We are not just chemically driven people. We are spiritually driven people. Your body's a shell and within it is your spirit. That's the real part of you. That's the part that continues on. You will live forever somewhere. When this body is dead and gone, you will still your spirit will be alive. Where are you going to be? We are spiritually driven people. So they get to the other side of the lake, and it picks up in Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons, right? Not the handcuffs, not the little, you know, bindings, the irons, the shackles on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, Now you say, Dave, how do you know this guy is naked? Well, fortunately, Luke, in his account, being detail-oriented, tells us, quote, he says this in in Luke chapter 8, he says, for a long time, he had not worn clothes. Okay, so as he gets the bigger picture, as he gets all the details, this guy was just kind of immune to that, and so we understand some things about the condition of this guy's life. Number one, this guy's got super strength. Something's going on there, right? Secondly, he seems a little bit immune to the elements. It could be raining, it could be clear, whatever, you know. but this guy, it just clothes, it just doesn't bother him. He's been without clothes uh, for some time. He is self-destructive. He says he would take stones and he would, he would cut himself. And I want to be careful here, but I want to suggest something to you. That if you've ever thought in your mind, maybe I'll cut myself, as a means of coping, let me just suggest that perhaps that idea didn't just come from you. Maybe that idea outside of yourself was whispered to you because something's got some, an intent that you would harm yourself, destroy. It didn't originate with something that became a fad some years ago. It, this was happening back in Jesus' day, and I'm not saying that if you've been cutting or experienced cutting that you're demon-possessed. I am not saying that. What I am saying to you is this, that there are times that the enemy wants to whisper to you and me that we cut off that which is helpful to us, that we harm ourselves. And, and maybe for you it's not cutting you know, your body, but maybe for you it, 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 the enemy comes along and whispers, hey, you know what, you need to just cut your losses, cut off your marriage. Sometimes the enemy's going to come on and say, hey, you know what, you're too busy. Cut off your support. Cut off, you know, that you go to a community group or you go to CR, or, you know, cut off something that's good for you. Don't, don't do that. It's gonna suggest that you cut off something that's actually good for you. That you're gonna cut off your quiet time with God. That you're just far too busy. You shouldn't be in the scriptures. And, and there are times that I wanna just let you know that those suggestions come to us. Sometimes they're our flesh. Sometimes they're outside of our flesh. But our job as Christians is to grab a hold of that idea. We capture it. We make it obedient to Christ. And that's what we need to do. We want to capture that idea and make it obedient to Christ. That out loud we can confront it. That out loud we do not let it control us. You might exercise and get in positions and try to empty your mind. Let me tell you, do not empty your mind. The scriptures are clear that we're to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. That we're to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. We're not to empty our mind of anything because you start doing that then you let other things in your mind that you begin to make agreements with. And once you shake hands with that thought And you follow through on those behaviors, you've just opened yourself to being controlled by something other than God's Holy Spirit. As believers who are filled with our spirit and God's spirit in us, we're to be led and controlled, take control of our thoughts. Then go exercise. Then go do things that are good for you. But we're to do that. And sometimes you and I have to all of a sudden wake up and realize I've been cutting off something And I've been getting played by the suggestion of the evil one. And I'm not going to let that happen any longer in my life. And so you take a stand out loud. Sometimes. We've been just carried along by life, and we haven't realized that there's a battle outside of ourselves. There's a battle that's going on. And, and right now, for Jesus' disciples, they're coming face-to-face face with a battle that, that they just haven't seen, that, that's happening right in front of them. And so in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, uh, we find this account. When, we saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his what? On his knees, Wait, Just please understand that. This demonized man comes running up to Jesus and falls immediately on his knees. That's a position of submission, a position before the authority. It's not an accident. He comes up and he falls on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Real quick, let me time out right there. I've been training you and teaching you, and I want you to catch again, that when Jesus Christ asks a question, is he asking it for his own benefit or for those who would hear? Those who would hear, right? He already knows, he's God. He's asking the spirit, what's your name? And what the spirit says then, we see right here in the scripture, is my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And I want you to picture this for a minute. Jesus, if he wanted the very specific name of the demon, he could have just asked, and guess what? That demon would have to reveal its very specific name. But Jesus didn't care about that. He wanted people to know that within this man, there's more than one thing going on. That in fact, there are thousands of things going on. Legion is descriptive. Anybody would have heard it at that time and heard that there was a legion inside this man would understand that a Roman legion in that day and age was 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers and horsemen. That's what a legion. When a legion came to your area, they were going to conquer you. It was a lot, right? And so we see that right there. And, and, and they begin to beg. They begin to negotiate with Jesus. They come falling on their knees, and they think, you know what, my judgment it, it, the timetable has been switched up and they beg him don't torment me. Remember James two nineteen says that even the demons believe in God and they shudder and so this is what's happening. They're stalling the inevitable guaranteed judgment by God and their ultimate fate being cast into the abyss. So here's the thing, they come up and they start begging. It's, it's not our appointed time. Like, are you going to torture us before we know we're a defeated foe? We know the end is coming, but we, is it going to happen now? And they begin, they begin stalling. That's what the demons are doing when Jesus confronts them as they came running up to him. And I want you to picture this for just a minute. You have thousands of demons inside one guy against Jesus. And Jesus wins hands down. It's no contest. You'd think if you saw one demonized person and whatever was going on inside them it would freak you out. But I want you to understand that this is thousands of demons against Jesus and it's no contest. That's how powerful the name of Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He is in the presence of deity at this moment standing before Jesus Christ acknowledges that he not only is the son of the most high God but God himself. They shudder. If you're taking notes today on your outline, your body was not designed, or your body was designed to contain more than just your spirit. You were made for the Holy Spirit. That your body, my body, are spirit receptacles, that it contains our spirit. But not only that, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord, you get God's Holy Spirit inside of you, That's what happens, that when you say yes to Jesus, you receive his forgiveness, God's Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And God says, listen, I am making a temple of living stones, of living people. So, like, I'm a rock, you're a rock, you're a brick, I'm a brick. And what happens is God is saying of all Christians all over the world, everywhere, I'm not making a building I'm making a living organism, the church, my holy living spirit is inside of you and those are my people. That is my church. That's what God's saying. He's saying, don't build me another tabernacle. My people are now my dwelling. Your body is a receptacle for God's Holy Spirit if you put your faith and trust in him. But let me tell you something. If you don't have God's Holy Spirit inside of you along with your spirit, then you're not a Christ follower. I don't care what your tattoo says. I don't care what the t-shirt says or what kind of doormat you have at your house or the art in your home. If you don't have God's Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're not a Christ follower. You're just not. Because your body was a receptacle for God's Holy Spirit. When you accept Christ as Lord, his Holy Spirit comes and makes his home, his dwelling. He is God with us on the inside. So your body is not just to contain you, but God in you. Mark 5:11 A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged, "Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them." And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd about 2000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, thank you, and in his right mind. And they were what? Afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Follow this through with me for just a moment. Sometimes when I would read this actual account of what went down there. I was like, what? Why did Jesus let them go in the pigs? It's like they won because then the people got freaked out and they asked Jesus to leave. It's like the demons won. It's like, hey, we're getting cast out, but we're going to get you. Isn't that weird? Like when you read it sometimes, you're like, what's, what's actually going on here? I don't understand what's going on here. So the demons, they want to go out. But they don't want to be out in anywhere land. They want to go and they want to go into these pigs. And so Jesus lets them go into the pigs. The pigs run down the hill and they basically stampede into the water and they drown or they go off a little cliff or the edge or whatever. Just, you know, so you have this massive stampede, although it would probably be more like a (laughs) hampeed, Right. So all the pigs go down, they run in the water. It's just, you know, they just, like lemmings. They just go off and, and there they are. And, and, and these, you know, the herdsmen, they see what's going on and, and they, they freak out and they run, they run back into town. Let me just tell you, if you're the herdsman, you're not the owner. Cause in that day and age, if you're the businessman, you're not watching your own pigs. You got other people doing that. So they're the tenders. And what they want to do is run back to town and say, listen, it wasn't us It was this guy, Jesus, and the demon-possessed guy, and they went in the pigs, and they went down there, and so they're going to go tell their owners so they don't get in trouble. They don't lose their job, right? But the demons go into the pigs. Why? Jesus allows for the demons to leave this guy and show everybody what the nature of demons is when they inhabit someone. Their intent is always to destroy that in which they inhabit. Inhabit. So there's this, not just visual thing, hey, this guy, something weird's going on, but there's an actual physical, suddenly the, that which is spiritual becomes visible for real people like you and me. And these demons come out, they go into the pigs, they ham-peed into the water, and then they're, they're dead, right? And you see, all the nature of demons is to destroy its host. That's the nature of the defeated trying to take others with them. I gotta let you know something, like, People think, well, he had to leave the region because they took an economical hit. Uh, let me just say, first of all, the Jewish people could care less about the pigs. <laughs> Those were not for them, right? That's for like Gentiles visiting the region or whatever. And, and if you're the owners, you're not gonna be like, oh no, we have a big loss, and go to your insurance agent. In that day and age, you're gonna go down, you're gonna get in the water in some boats, you're gonna, get, you're gonna harvest the meat. You're not gonna have a huge loss you're going to have a little bit of a loss, but not a huge loss. It's not the end of the world. I want you to notice, though, Jesus' concern. Some of you are animal rights activists in this room, but I want you to know Jesus' heart is more for the person he created than for the animals he also created. Did you hear that? That your beliefs matter, but guess what? People matter more. Jesus frees this man who's been demon-possessed. These thousands of demons wanted the destruction of this man's life, that he would forever be separated from Jesus. Listen, the people get afraid, right? It's the same word. It's the Phobos word. and, And what it is, the people were afraid of the possessed man. Used to be afraid of the naked, angry guy, right? But now they experience a holy fear of the supernatural power of Jesus. What has just happened to the disciples in the boat is now happening on land to the multitudes of people, right? That they see this thing happen, and they were, they were afraid of this guy. Like, we avoid that area. We let that guy go live in the tombs. Nobody lives in the, you know, the graveyard except for that guy, and we avoid that. They used to be afraid of him, but now this guy's in his right mind, and they are absolutely terrified. It's the same word, the phobia of Jesus, because they've seen the supernatural power of Jesus. In fact, what happens is, I believe the people experience what's called a hagia phobia—that is, a holy fear. See, it used to be we were afraid of the weird, crazy guy, right? But now we are experiencing a holy fear before the supernatural power of deity. They used to be afraid of what? That guy, be afraid of what he could do, of his craziness, all that. Now they're afraid of who? Jesus. Who has that kind of power? Who could do such a thing like that? What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Mark 5, verse 18, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis all, uh, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. A Decapolis is a fancy word that means the 10 cities around the lake. If you go to Israel today, you can go see to 10 different areas that there were cities right around that lake a lot of them are still there you can go to cities that are named in the bible you can go to actually physically there today there were 10 cities around that lake it's a pretty big lake Be like saying hey north lake tahoe and south lake tahoe right and other places all around same thing they were able to go and he began to go and he began to tell them two things he told them how much god has done for him and how god has had mercy on him Right? The guy's like, hey man, you freed me. I want to be with you. I want to go with you. Remember, the people got afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. But what did Jesus do? He left, but he left the message about himself with the man who they knew, who they would see every day and go, this guy is still in his right mind. He's not repossessed. He's been freed by the power of Jesus and this man, one of their own, their trusted one would go around and tell and sometimes you're like, Jesus, get him Jesus, go tell him and Jesus is like, no, I freed you and I want you to tell them two things First thing that's Jesus' application for you and me today and your outline is this Jesus wants you and I to tell others how much God has done for you What has God done for you? How has God forgiven you of your sin? That he's answering your prayers. That you can approach him with confidence and not fear any longer because of his great love. We have direct access to God. How much God has done for you that he's taken you from being trapped under sin and darkness of your own sin, the condemnation you and I deserve from our own sin, the shame that encompasses all of our sin. He's freed us from that. That is how much he's done for us. But also, we're to tell how God has had mercy on us. What's mercy? Mercy is when you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. You deserve destruction, but you don't get it. What were the demons afraid of? Are you going to torture us before our appointed time and then you're going to throw us into the abyss? Our destruction that we deserve, you're not going to show mercy. You're not going to do that. With demons, Here's something I want you to understand. You and I get a very small picture of the mercy that God has had on us. I mean, unless you've been forgiven much, sometimes it's easy for you and I to forget what we've been forgiven of and what the consequences would actually be. Jesus with his disciples at one point sends them out by twos. I want you to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so they go out to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And they come back with this report. And they're like, Lord, it was awesome. The blind see, the, the sick are healed. The demons responded to us in your name. They were cast out and they're like flying high like this works. This stuff you This is powerful. And Jesus says something to them. He says, listen, I, I get it. I was there. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when he said I want to be like God and God was like uh-uh that's pride and cast him out and the third of the angels who now are demons he cast them out of heaven. Jesus saying I was there. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Boom. And his very next statement Jesus said is this, Luke 10:20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you see what Jesus said there? Oh, the powerful name of Jesus, the wonderful name, the beautiful name of Jesus, the demons will flee, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice instead that God who judges and condemns without a second chance, the demons, would have mercy on you as a human. The scriptures say that the angels marvel at God's grace to us. Why? Because they don't experience it firsthand. They don't get it. But you and I, we have received the mercy of the demons that God created as angels that are now demons. They don't get a second chance. And God, God was compassionate. Listen to the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. He says, listen, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your name is written in heaven what a wonderful thing that is, what a beautiful thing that is, that your name, that my name with our sin could be washed away, that instead of being condemned to the abyss, to being tortured for our sin, to be put in a place the Bible calls hell, that God would have mercy on us, not only mercy, but grace, that he would give us what is undeserved, its undeserved favor. Our names are written in heaven. Will you give it up for the Lord on that? That is just the good news. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, we need to remember our names are written in heaven and that the spirits have to submit to Jesus. But let me tell you, we forget too often the mercy God has had on us. And there are other people out there. They may not be demonized. They could just simply be under the power of darkness, their own sin, the condemnation from God on people for their sin. And let me tell you, Jesus is saying, don't forget them. Your name might be written in heaven, but what about them? Is there not one more that we could invite to be in heaven? I've heard a statistic that says 85% of Christians will never actually share their faith verbally with another person. Sometimes in America, I believe that. I don't think that about this church, I see too many of you inviting friends and having conversations and doing that, but there are certainly among us times, sometimes the greatest miracle is not casting out a demon, it's getting you to tell your story. Now, let me tell you, I'll work with you. Because sometimes the way that we tell our story is in community. So we invite people here and we get them here so they can hear the good news of Jesus so that the gospel can penetrate to them. And so let me just ask you right now, who would Jesus be putting on your mind, on your heart that needs to know that God would have mercy on them? Oh, they're looking for joy in their job. They're looking for joy in their family. They're looking for joy in their material possessions. And all those things cause us to lose heart they can find joy because God would have mercy on them that their names could forever be written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven listen without grace it would be very different for you and me wouldn't it we'd be on the one strike rule you sin you're gone and the day would come when you and I would stand before God and his judgment but here's the beautiful thing for believers when we stand before God's judgment, having put our faith and trust in him, that judgment is a reward ceremony. They don't replay your life up in heaven and say, oh, I had no idea you did that. But what happens is Jesus says, it's all forgotten. It's all washed away. I paid for it with my blood. And now I'm gonna to give to you grace and inheritance that will never perish or spoil or It has been kept in heaven all along here for you. And this now is yours. Enter the joy of my right hand. That's what that ceremony is. That is good news, but let me tell you, there are people who need that good news because there are people who, their their fear of what's going on in life and their life experiences is gonna turn to absolute horror before God. They're gonna have a holy fear before Almighty God because their sins are not washed away, their sins are not paid for. and I want us to wake up as a church Who is it that God would want us to bring here? Who is it that God would want you to share your faith with? Who is it that God would want you to invite who needs to hear this? There is a spiritual warfare, and the uh, the enemy's greatest weapon oftentimes is comfort and silence. We get comfortable in our salvation. He's like, I lost you. It's cool as long as you don't ever share that with anybody else. There are people that need to be freed. Jesus, we come before you now. And we ask you, by your mighty power, to move among our congregation. That, God, there would be people who, because of what we talk about today, would have their lives irrevocably changed in Elk Grove because of the message of your gospel. God, we pray against the design and the desire of the evil one in our lives and against the design and desire of the evil one in Elk Grove that there is a very real spiritual battle, God, and we stand against him. In the name of Jesus, we stand against the evil one. And we proclaim that this house shall be a house of the Lord. This house shall be a house of prayer. This house shall be a place where it becomes a launching platform for us to be the church, the living temple of God in a lost world that desperately needs you. Maybe right now you're sitting in your seat and you're realizing I've never taken that first step. Jesus has done all the work, he paid for your sin on the cross, but you've never asked him for forgiveness and you have never invited his Holy Spirit into your heart. And if today you'd like to do that to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to come alive spiritually, to be free, then you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart Forgive me of all my sin. Let your Holy Spirit come and live in me. Because I believe your death on the cross paid for my sin. You were dead and buried. You rose to new life. You are God. So I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.